Down in a corner, crouching in a cellar, striking in the darkness a fragrant snake. Jabbing down the hokum, mumbling bits of hokum. Jabbing all the oakum that the joint will take. Squatting in the cobwebs, scarring sullen spiders, humbling himself before the proud outsiders. Fumbling and mumbling, rising up and stumbling. Fumbling in the shadow for his lost dividers. Back in a cavern, underneath a stairway. Flattened in the blackness, a tomcat glows. Glowering at the plumber, swearing at the plumber. Eyeing the newcomer with the cobweb nose. Down on his knees by the torch that roars. Roaring at the lead in the cast iron pot. Soaring tongues of red, tongues white hot. Bellow at the lead in a burning spot. Here kneels the plumber at his shrine. Winter, summer, humbling, mumbling, fumbling in the shadows. Bowing at his altar, mindful of the nation. Worshipping obscurely the goddess sanitation. The tomcat glowers in the spider's sulk. Awaiting the departure of the solitary hulk. Still he keeps a pounding, pounding down the lead. Pounding down the lead, bowing down his head, mindful of the living, thoughtful of the dead. And that is a poem by Paul E. Tracy called The Plumber. And I'm here with the plumber himself, Ethan DeGroote. Thanks for hanging out with me today, man. Yep, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm fired up you're here. I just saw your B&I presentation. We were just talking about it. Um, after you know hearing your story, all the cool stuff you do, I thought I've got to talk to Ethan about coming and talking to the world. So, um, so yeah, I, uh, I like to hear about people's backgrounds, kind of how they got to where they are today. So um, can you tell us where you're from, some of that info? I graduated in Oklahoma from high school. Um, my first 11 years was in a small town in southeast Missouri called Oak Ridge. Uh, I, when I lived there, its population was about 50. I think it's about 200 now. <laughs> so <laughs> small town background. Yeah. Um, Allen, Oklahoma, I graduated from Ponca City, about 30,000 people. Wow. So, okay. So, yeah, small town. So small town growing up, um, what was your next move after high school? So, well, I got in plumbing during high school, actually. Oh, really? Uh, for my uncle's company down in Dallas. Um, I like the joke, it's not child labor if it's family business. <laughs> so That's awesome. <laughs> uh, me and my cousin worked there as uh, early teenage years. Um, got a taste in plumbing. And then right after high school, um, with parental permission at age 17, I joined the First thing in the military, after boot camp, I sent out to California. Uh, it's the Defense Language Institute. Yeah. And uh, I went there to be a Japanese linguist. But wow. I found out only officers could be Japanese. So they gave me a few options to choose from. I chose a few different options, and then uh, they gave me a random one instead. <laughs> So <laughs> Not I, the option you yeah. chose, okay. <laughs> so uh, I became a Farsi linguist, um, and after a year I found out I'm not good with office jobs. So I ended up swapping, ended up uh, taking disarming bombs for the military, and was stationed out in Utah for most of that. Wow. So you mentioned you weren't cut out for office jobs, there's a parallel there between, you know, then and now, because yep. you, know, you are still out in the field with your hands. So you were, um, you know, 
you were in the service. How long were you in the service? So I I uh, was medically retired just before my four-year mark. Um, I got injured and uh, ended up getting retired right before my four-year mark. Um, I actually <laughs> got retired with a federal pension before I could legally drink, um, which is a weird thing to say. <laughs> but... Uh, and even to get your license out here, it's an 80-question open book test. And the LLR, who you get your license through, will literally tell you what books to bring. They have a list they'll print you out. Whereas, like I said, in Texas, not only were those requirements, it's a whole day test. The first probably four hours you go in, you're soldering, you're piping some stuff up in the shop work. Yep. They actually cut open your solder work to see if you have any gaps in the solder. Um, and then you take, you do take a book test. Um, you're not allowed anything, though. If they see a phone all day, you're done. Um, and then the last part, they give you a blueprint for a two-story house. You get order parts based off of that blueprint. Yeah. And they take you in back give you two scale tiny plumbing parts and you pipe up the entire house. If you don't have enough parts, then you fail. If you have too many, you fail. Like I said, you get one chance to order. Wow. So that that's the difference on those two. The pressure's on. Yeah. Texas <laughs> is way harder to get a license. Well, how's that transition? The transition, it's like the wild west out here. Uh, <laughs> You see some interesting situations. There's there's some issues where I'm able to offer my customers uh, more price-effective solutions because of my training. Yeah. Like uh, your poem was about lead or uh, cast iron yeah. piping. Well, the toilet flange underneath the toilet, if it's connected to cast iron, will usually be a lead pipe. And uh, to replace the toilet flange, you have to solder to that lead pipe. Well, your solder is lead, to lead. So if you're not if you're not careful with your flame, you'll just melt the pipe coming up. Oh, uh, I got you. Yeah. And I know I'm pretty much the only person locally that will do that because out of the past 20 brass flanges, I've bought 19 of them in the past five years. Um, and what that translates to for a customer is by doing that, it might just be a few hundred dollar fix. Whereas if you have to replace the whole section of pipe under the toilet, it might be $1,000. So the training from Texas does allow me to save my customers. Yeah, you really got to do surgery if you can't offer that service. Yeah. Okay. When you came, when you opened up, what was it like opening up doors? So... We opened on uh, Valentine. Well, so we actually uh, found a when we wanted to open a business, we found a local business attorney because you hear nightmares of you know opening the business wrong, um, and we opened up on Valentine's Day of what was it, 2020. So right before COVID hit, which. Opening up the pretty much the month of COVID starting was probably not the best timing, <laughs> but uh, 
you know, for plumbing, the big thing is just getting your name out there. Yeah. Advertisement's not as big for us plumbers. It's mostly word of mouth. Yeah. Because if you have a plumbing issue, you almost never, you know, go look at a billboard. You, you're asking your friends, hey, do you know someone good? And so um, we had joined a – we were – the business attorney, uh, her name's Kim Raber, who set up our company, she said, well – I'm in this business group. Would you like to come? And, you know, you told me your story about your training in Texas, and we'd be happy to host you. And I went in, and the people were super nice and super helpful and uh, met quite a few friends that I have now. But, uh, you know, they they took a chance on me. They yep. used me once, and... Once they liked the result, that, that started the chain reaction for me, where just getting your name out there is the hardest part. Yeah. And I definitely recommend, you know, if you're starting out to get into a group of some kind, because it, it definitely will pay dividends. Um, it, it's scary going into, though. Um, but I think business in itself is a scary prospect. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. Um, but you were so you were B and I in out the gates. Yeah. Oh heck yeah. Um, yeah, I I did B and I straight out of the gates, and like I said, you did it right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I would say that's probably a way to go for any business because yeah. word of mouth beats everything else. Or you could have a thousand billboards, but if someone's best friend says use that guy. Guess what? Your your billboards aren't mattering. So. Very very true. Well said. And in you know in your business, what type of calls are you taking? I gotta imagine there's just a ton of different types of plumbing issues that come up: commercial, residential, I mean, yeah. industrial. Yeah. So right now we pretty much focus on residential. Um, I love industrial work. I've done it in the past but you need more than two guys to do it. <laughs> uh, so pretty much all our work is residential. Uh, we Probably half our work is service, you know, leaking faucets, uh, clogged drains, and probably the other half is remodels yeah. or, and things like that. Um, I really like remodels just because you can – you see the product from the stripped down walls all the way to the last where you're saying fixtures and everything's pretty. So <laughs> awesome. And when um and, and when you're doing a remodel, I I I got to imagine, you know, you're, you're probably doing more than what like for a service call you're going to go fix something with the remodel, you're like designing a a plumbing system, is that correct? Correct. So a uh, part of the job that most people don't realize is plumbers design your plumbing system. Even on large industrial projects that I've worked on, you'll have you know an architect or engineer lay out the blueprints where plumbing has to go. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't meet plumbing code, the blame is on the plumber, even if it was the blueprint. <clears throat> so you're re you have to rely on the plumber to know the codes, how to size certain pipes, and to design it so you know you don't get stoppages. You don't have too little water pressure. Um, there's 
there's that old uh, joke, the husband's taking a shower and the wife flushes the toilet and scolds the husband. Well, that joke came from pipes being undersized. So you'll have an undersized pipe feeding both the toilet and the shower. So if you don't size the pipes correctly, it could happen nowadays, um, which is a problem I see a lot here in South Carolina. Um, but, yeah, we design it from the ground up and remodels. That's part of why I really like them. Cool. We mentioned um, pipes being a different size. Is you know when you I guess when you're walking into an old house, you're probably already thinking, okay, it was built in this time frame. Or there's some things like let's say somebody owns a house from the 50s. What kind of things are you thinking about? So if they have galvanized wire lines or copper wire lines, um, those are the two most common back then. Um, if they have, <clears throat> they might have low wire pressure if they have galvanized wire lines because those rust from the inside out and so even if they were properly sized in the 50s now 70 some years later they might be undersized because they're just so clogged up with rust on the inside um, I've seen some three-quarter inch lines that you can put a pencil through hmm. so that's definitely one issue um, copper I think Sometimes it's sold as lasting 100 years, which may be in some circumstances, but, you know, they're springing leaks. Yeah. Pipes in the 50s, 60s, and 70s are springing leaks here in the 2020s. So those houses, that's what I'm expecting. Um, cast iron, you know, it could be rotted out in the bottom and just cracked all the way through. Um, it usually rots on the bottom because... You know, all your waste is on the bottom and it's acidic, especially if uh, people have put Drano down it, which I never recommend. Drano is horrible for your pipes. So <laughs> Noted. When you're walking into a newer house and maybe a new development, what kind of thoughts are you having about their plumbing system? So my thoughts on it um, would be, so a lot of new houses, the stops underneath the sinks or the toilet turn on and off the water. A lot of newer houses, because they're cheaper, they'll use push-button stops where, you know, you push in, they turn on, you pull out, they turn off. Um, those are probably going to give you problems down the line. Um, whenever they age, they'll just turn themselves off. <laughs> That's usually when people find out. Uh, they also aren't really attached to a pipe in a great way. You literally just pop them on and that's it. Um, another issue is under sinks, if you have a studer vent, they let air into the sewer system but not out. If you have one or two under sinks, that's fine. But if your whole house is them, you, you'll probably have issues. Um, you want to see vent pipes coming through the roof. Hmm. And the reason is most people don't realize sewer systems have both positive and negative pressures. And so when you have the studer vents everywhere, you know, they let air in for negative pressure, but if there's positive, it, that positive pressure comes elsewhere, either into 
your toolets, which will make them gurgle, um, and things like that, which means you have sewer gas into your house. Things won't drain as well. So by having vents coming out, they allow your sewer system to more or less breathe. And you get better flushes, you get better shower drains, everything works better. So seeing pipes sticking through the roof, you don't want, you know, 50 of them. But, you know, one per bathroom group or one larger one that covers several bathrooms is the ideal. Well, that is the best explanation I've ever heard for those pipes sticking through the roof, and I'm glad I know that now so yeah. I can tell my customers. And that's big for you, too. <laughs> yeah. I was close, but now I yeah. really know what's going on. Yeah. I, that's cool. Um, your business operation, I know that you've got a, a right-hand man or a helper. How do yep. you guys work? So my employee also carries a license. Um, you know, I think a lot of people in South Business owners in South Carolina might not be happy with that because they're like, oh, they'll start their own company. But to me, it's just like, look, he knows what, what's required of the business. He, he knows what he's doing. And, you know, he'll – the fact he went above and beyond, yeah. you know, it, it shows he wants to give a good product to customers too. And so my whole thing is I, I want to package up and give a – great pack product to my customers. Um, the, but as for how else we operate, like if someone gives us a call, come straight to my cell phone. So if you talk someone on the phone, that's me. Um, most of the times, if you call halfway during a day, I'll pick up and ask you to send me a text message with your name, address, and what's going on, assuming it's not an emergency. Right. And uh, I usually do my scheduling in the evenings. But if it, I pick up during the day because if it's an emergency, you know, if your house is flooding, we need to get there quick. Yeah. <laughs> um, flooding houses is, is definitely an emergency that we'll try and pull off and get you, you know, up and going, right? Um, you have 24-7? Yes. So we do 24-7 emergency service. Um, not normal calls, but, you know, if, if you have no bathrooms going, you you got to use the restroom. Yeah. So we'll come out 1 a.m. on 4th of July if need be. Um, if it's an emergency, we got you. Heck, yeah. Well, it's awesome to see your passion for the business. I love hearing uh, people in home improvement, you know, raise the bar for professionalism. It's freaking awesome. And... Um, yeah, thanks for sitting down. Thanks for your okay. service. And uh, yeah, it's been awesome talking to you. It's been a fun talk. Heck yeah. I'm glad I was. I came. <laughs>